I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Call on this Monday live from our Brangaroo studios. 10 stocks picked by you. I put them to our expert panel. We do it all in one hour. It is the 16th of January, and if it's your first day, official day, back at work, welcome back. Happy 2023. My uh, first hurdle was to get into my suit today, which (laughs) I had great fears of doing, but uh, just managed to squeeze in after some good cheer over Christmas. But let's welcome our two experts, Nathan Thomas and Darren from Deep Data Analytics. Nathan, good to see you. Howard Coleman from Team Invest in the studio. Good to see you, sir. Welcome in. Great to be here. Um, Has 2023 kicked off in your eyes? Yeah, surprisingly well. I mean, you know, markets are, are doing well. And when you consider how interest rates are still rising, um, we're waiting for a time when uh, some of the stocks that we really like are terrific prices that we can buy, but hasn't right. happened yet. Nathan, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything to change your view on 2023 that's happened over that Christmas New Year period? It looks as though sort of inflation has peaked in the US and here and is trending down. Yeah, look, Good I think sign. inflation was always going to peak. I mean, you're yep. not going to keep double-digit uh, inflation globally holding for too long. So that, it burns itself out and things are slowing down, as you expect. Uh, market is overly excited about China reopening. Yep. That's played out in some of the commodities. We're seeing that. Um, I don't think anything's changed. I think we, we our strategy still holds exactly the same and it's doing well. Yeah. Um, and I think the trick is we all know what's going to happen now. It's a, almost a consensus play. But the market doesn't want to make that move. Right. And it's extending the play. So it gets tricky. But you have to remember, first couple of weeks of every year, market always goes up. Yeah. Because of asset allocation yeah. going in from cash into bonds and equities. Yeah. So asset prices do get boosted okay. and it looks good. So you have to think outside that and start to see what is happening, the overall trend uh, over the last year. There are some sectors that are doing really well. Yep. And some sectors are doing really badly. And some are not doing much at all. Yeah. So if you're in the right areas, you're doing well. I mean, all our models are doing well, and right. we're happy. So the right areas, obviously, gold. Gold is doing energy. well. Um, energy is holding up quite well. I'd expect that to pick up um, with all commodities, because you can't have other commodities doing well without energy. Yeah, you yeah. need energy. So yeah. by default, that'll do well. Uh, mining services is doing well. Um, so there, there are areas there. Food is doing well. I mean. People tend to get overly pos- positive or overly negative on food. Yeah. But just look at the UN um, food prices. They're 30% yeah, yeah. higher than what they were pre-pandemic. Yeah. So you're still making big margins. Yeah. So yeah, there are some thematics are doing really well. Defensives are holding up. So. Cattle prices at the moment. Yep. That's a classic example. All right, let's get into uh, the stocks you want us to take a look at today. Now, I must admit the list today has uh, a lot of stocks that have been reporting some uh, some interesting news today. Mm. And this half hour, Big Tin Can, 
They reported uh, some interesting news this morning. Get to that in a tick. Westpac, Energy One, Fluence and NAB. We will cover it in this half hour. Stock of the day. Thought we'd take a look at a what's been a darling of uh, a lot of the panels here on the call. Baby Bunting. Net profit after tax set to plunge almost 60% in the first half of this year versus last year. Company's chief executive says its nursery category, which is less discretionary, performed well, adding that the company is implementing a number of changes to remain competitive and deliver. Look at it today, down 12% on this news. Um, Howard, Baby Buddy has been seen as a bit of a blue chip retailer over the last two years. Was this a surprise? Um, not so much to us. You know, we really don't get enthusiastic about a stock unless it's got a reasonably long history. Because what you really want to know is that management can manage the business well when times are both good and bad. And it's only really been listed for about seven years. So that only just gets to about the length of time that we would say... For your filter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we would say we know, you know, we know how management performs. So, no, I'm not that surprised. And, uh, you know, uh, when, when you hear what they're doing, they sort of, uh, part of the explanation is they've gone into lower margin items to push up sales. Yep. Well, you know, that's great for sales, it's not good for profits. Um, so, no, not that surprised. I don't think any team invest members actually own Baby Bunting, but right. there may be a few that do. Um, we think they're better retailers. And like every sector, if you're in the very, very best businesses in the sector, you tend to do well. Right. If you're in the ones that are good, but not that well, you don't tend to do as well. Yep. Okay. So not for you, Nathan. Nathan, no. a lot of investors would think, hey, this is a darling. It's been smashed. But you constantly say when a company's in a downgrade cycle, <laughs> just forget it. Wait until the first upgrade and then you're fine. Is this the case with Baby Bunting? You know me way too well. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, look, there's a couple of things to this. Uh, baby Bunting, I've got to use the pun, they have definitely thrown the baby out with the mouth. <laughs> uh, it is definitely there. It was a market darling. Why did it become market darling? Because competitors blew up. Yeah. They were the last man standing. And it's amazing in an industry when, the, when you're the last man standing, you get massive expansion. Yeah. And it, it kind of helps when the government gives you a stimulus pump yep. and everyone was spending like there's no tomorrow. Now, all the retail stocks, you have to remember pre-pandemic, the markets were expensive. Post-pandemic, yes, they had multiple expansion because there's so much cash out there. Yep. Now that that's all going out of the way, you have to look at where they are relative to pre-pandemic. So pre-pandemic, it's actually around where it is now. So in mm. theory, it's actually expensive where it is now. Right. So, okay. uh, because what people are getting confused about is that the last couple of years we had stimulus-driven, you know, uh, I guess um, exuberant spending that's gone through. We think the consumer spending is going to be much weaker going past this Christmas, New Year spending cycle, and I think the outlook statements are going to be like that. And it's a global thing. It's not right. just in Australia. I think it's a global trend. Consumer sentiment is weak, and the spending will follow. Now, that's going to hit all consumer spending related sectors, retail, consumer services, banks, property. It just flows through. It's just a cycle. So the shorter term ones get hit first, yep. the longer term ones get hit later. This is a shorter term one. It gets hit. The thing that I like about it, you know, every, every dog has its positive sign, silver lining you've got to look at. It is one of those few players in a particular category. When things bottom out, this will be quite interesting. 
Um, I think baby bunting is a good business model in a bad sector. Now is not the time to pick winners in this sector. Yep. I'm staying out, but this is okay. one I will keep an eye on when when the panic goes through the market. Okay, all right. Now coming up in the, uh, uh, not to, to give too much warning, but in the second <laughs> half of the program, Super Retail yes. comes up. And it had announcements today as well. So let's see whether that's um, a leader in what both Howard and, uh, and make them think of super retail, but that's in the second half of the call today. All right, the first stock you've asked us to have a look at, Michael wants us to uh, run the ruler over Big Tin Can. Uh, Michael says, uh, love the show, Big Tin Can, are they just another beaten up tech stock or is there something fundamentally amiss? Now, Big Tin Can uh, put out a statement today, a trading update. Um, uh, annual recurring revenue um, of $130 million. Um, their acquisition of sales director uh, has been completed. Interestingly, they've appointed Morgan Stanley as their financial advisor in relation to approaches to the company. So M&A activity forecast there and seen going forward and they've done a $30 million institutional capital raise as well to support any of their M&A activity going forward. So, uh, Nathan, there's a lot to digest today in that. Mm. Big Tin Can is an interesting stock. It, is a, it was a market darling for a while. Yep. Interesting that you look at it over the last two to three months, there hasn't been much broker research. That just tells you where the sentiment is in the right. stock. Yeah. Uh, brokers find better places to go. So. Um, they've raised money, so you're not going to get diluted in the short term, but the interesting part is the people who held shares, who would have got cheaper shares, mm. will be waiting for a bounce to get rid of those shares right. uh, because they don't want to hold more of the same thing, especially after it's come off so much. So there will be a selling pressure in it. Um, they are doing monthly business updates. Uh, that's a worry. Um, so that's, that's just, a worry. Yeah, that's a worry. Hang on, uh, wouldn't, no. wouldn't an investor go, oh, I love their transparency, their yeah, governance on this? No. Or? no. Yeah, no. If okay. you're good, you don't need to. All the right. market knows. Uh, <laughs> when you're doing it regularly and the share price is pretty much going like this, uh, that tells you that they are trying to right. hold on. Okay. Um, and I think, uh, um, look, the viewer's right. It is a tech stock. It's been beaten up. It's a loss maker. Is it, people don't know where to price it at the moment. So the market is a bit touchy. I'm not chasing growth stocks right now. The, the cycle is not there for them. So it's a tough one. Um, and given that uh, where it is, it doesn't have the competitive, you know, I always say with tech stocks, I want platform tech stocks. You want a moat, don't you? I don't see it. So I'm not paying up for it uh, yep. where the risk return doesn't fit. Um, so in that scenario, I'm staying out of it. But gee, there's some big boys in this. Yeah. Uh, when it bottoms out, they'd want to get out and they want to pump it up to get it out. So if you're a trader, look, I would take a small position if you're a trader for the simple fact that you've got the capital raising. It's probably going to go sideways. There are a lot of M&A happening in beaten up techs because obviously they don't have the balance sheet, cash flow, yeah. put it together, it becomes a bigger player. So that would not surprise me. And so you could trade that as a trader. But as an investment, it doesn't stack up. Right. Howard? Yeah, well, I mean, um, Michael, the person who sent in the question, is, the, is there something fundamentally amiss? Yes, it's called a lack of profits. <laughs> um, you know, if, oh, I came, right. if I came to you and I said, forget about the stock exchange, if I came yep. to you and I said, I have this business, 
it's a restaurant or whatever. Um, you, you were at the till, you were paying your bill and you said, Howard, the food is really great here. And I said, great, you, you, see, you really liked our food? Yes. Would you like to buy some shares in our business? The first question you'd ask me is, how much money does it make as profits? Yeah. And if I answered, no, nah, it never makes a profit. But about once a year when we're short of cash again, we come back to the shareholders and everybody tips in more money and that way we can keep the restaurant open. You'd say, why on earth would I want to invest in that? Yep. Now that's the story of Bing Tin Can. This company had 130 million shares on issue six years ago. It's now got 552 million shares on issue and it's never made a profit. So what effectively it's doing is it's running the business at a loss and periodically asking the owners, hey, can you tip in some more cash? Right. Um, we've run out of cash. So yes, but they do say uh, their, their rationale would be we're developing a product or a service that we will make a profit sometime in the future because uh, we reckon it's the next big thing. So invest in our potential. That's a great story, yeah. but it's not a business. Right. Um, and there are many stories on the stock exchange, but only about one in 40 on average ever turn into a business. Uh, that's about the same chances as winning a, a bet on a roulette wheel. Right. Um, and the odds aren't as good when you do win the bet as you get on the roulette wheel. So, you know, stories are what you really want to avoid as an investor. As a trader, well, that's a bit like gambling and you could do well out of it if yep. it goes well. So, um, to me, not for, it, not, not for team okay. invest members, they've got to be profitable businesses. Okay. All right. Let's go from Big Tin Can to the, uh, the other end of the ASX spectrum. And Jenny wants a view, Howard, on Westpac, one of the big four banks. Um, we're just starting to get profit updates. What was it? Friday, Saturday morning our time on American banks, which mm -hmm. was pretty patchy. Uh, is that a precursor of uh, what our big banks will be going through here as they face an economic downturn, maybe issues in the housing market? Yeah, I don't think this uh, next reporting season is going to be the one where they start not looking that good. Right. It'll probably be the one after. Right. But Westpac of the banks is a little disappointing compared to the others in that return on equity has been less than 10% per annum for the last three years. Now our banks in Australia have generally run at return on equity around about 10 to 12%. Their last three years have been 4.6, 9.2 and 9.3. That's not all that encouraging. And if you look at their earnings per share, earnings are still significantly lower than they were 10 years ago. Yep. 10 years ago they earned $2.20 a share they're now earning $1.70 a share. Therefore, hardly surprisingly, their share price is also lower than about 10 years ago. So you get quite a nice dividend from our banks, but if at the same time the share price is gradually drifting down, I mean their earnings per share being dropping about 7% a year, which means on average their share price will drop about 7% a year over the long term. Even if you're getting a dividend, including franking credits, that adds up to 10, you're not doing terribly well because you've got 2% inflation yep. and 7% drop in the share price. So if you are wanting to invest in a bank, probably this one is the least attractive at the moment of the mm. four big banks. But banks don't tend to be wealth winners. They pay what looks like very attractive dividends. But over the last 10 years, most banks in this country, their share prices are lower than they were 10 right. years ago. And but, there's been inflation. But average investors love them. They love them. They're a darling. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Why? Well, I did two years ago, you know, because you look at it and you say, wow, look at this terrific dividend yield, and yeah. I get franking credits on top of it. But if you look at it over a longer period, you know, the banks can't grow really faster than our economy grows. Right. And that's in a best case scenario. And as there's more competition for banks, you know, eating away at some of the little small things that banks do here and there that were highly profitable, um, that's not good for the banks in the long term. No. I mean. I'll give you a simple example. A little while ago, we had a transfer fair amount of money overseas. Used to be you'd go into the bank, they'd charge you a lot of money and they'd get it done for you. Now, there are much easier ways to do it that cost less. Yep. So one nice source of profits for the bank on an individual investor like us has disappeared. Yep. It's been taken away by somebody else. And that's what fintechs tend to be doing, don't they? Yep. They go for the most profitable areas. Nathan, what do you think of Westpac? Oh, look, um, I think the simplest way to look at it uh, is if you look at the last 20 years chart and you'll see where the share price has done, X dividends, CBA is the only one that's really up. Yep. Um, banks peaked around 2015 uh, and a lot of CEOs left at that time, um, starting with who at that time was the head of Westpac. Yep. Um, that was the ring the bell. And since then, apart from CBA, everyone else has basically sl slid down. NAV has almost the same share price as what it was 20 years ago. Um, Westpac is lower, um, obviously, in the last six, seven years. Westpac and ANZ have gone down. CBA is the only one up. I don't think banks are an investment case um, at the moment. When you're picking 15, 20 stocks, it doesn't come in. I don't think it makes the top 50. Um, but I know... So no bank makes the top 50 for in me, term for you on the market? Uh, on the market. If you're stock picking... Yeah. Um, I struggle to find it. I, I can understand right. the defensive nature of it, and yeah. I, I understand why um, on a ETF and index passive funds will buy it, and that's holding up the banks at the yeah. moment. But in reality, it doesn't make sense. Now, mm. why do retail investors hold it? Because they got it really, really cheap. So they don't care. Yeah. Like if, the mar if it comes back 10%, they don't care. If it comes back 20%, they don't care. They got it 20, 30 years ago, and they made so much dividends and they reinvested, most of them, reinvested so it's grown into a bigger pie massive tax issue yeah they don't care kept on so yep. nobody's going to sell yeah but it trades the biggest thing to remember about the banks is it trades for the currency because the global guys trade our market in and out and that's the most liquid sector so it's highly correlated it's holding up because the currency has gone up right if the commodities roll over finally i don't don't ask me how this works out but when commodities are strong banks are strong when commodities are weak, ah, banks are weak okay. because it flows through through a currency and becomes a currency trade. Yeah. So at the moment, the currency is holding up. That'll hold up the banks. But I think it gives you a great opportunity. I, I always say when Combank is over $105 in the last 18 months, sell signal. You sell right. every time. It hasn't gone past. It just keeps rolling over, rolling over. And in three months, we're going to have substantial fixed rate home loans going into variable. Yeah. It's going to get tough. Yep. So okay. I'm not putting money into banks. All right. Not one bank in the top 50. Everyone, no, and yeah, and not, not even. Way, I, I'd 100% agree with that. Oh, and, and I would say, look, I think Macquarie is one of the best stocks in the market, and yet I am not suggesting we should buy Macquarie right wow. now. Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, there you go. Uh, who asked that? Uh, Jenny. That's uh, pretty decisive uh, guidance there from both Nathan and also uh, from Howard as well. Uh, Scott wants a view on uh, Method on Energy One, the uh, supplier and developer of software services to energy companies and utilities. 
Uh, Scott's saying, looks like a reasonable valuation at current prices. Yeah, this is an interesting one. It just hit me because, oh, this is going back 15 odd years. Um, I was on a plane to go marketing in Melbourne and I was sitting next to a CEO. Guess which CEO? This one, Energy One. <laughs> exactly. And I was at that time working for a platform, US tech business platform, commodity trading and equities. And uh, so they were looking at, they do a lot of data analytics yep. on how they do that and how I was like, we were having a chat. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then we had a decent chat all the way to Melbourne. So yeah, I remember this one. It did really well after that and it's played out. I think the problem for Energy One is basically where the sector is. There isn't a lot of clarity how things, and there's a lot of policy changes that could um, affect the business and that's what is weighing on that stock. Um, I tend to not buy into stocks with that kind of outlook because you could be a winner, you could be in the doldrums for a lot longer than what you think. I'd rather wait for that decision to be made. Yeah, yeah. the stock jumps 10, 15%, I'll chase it. If it's, it's, it is cheap for what it is, assuming the policy works in their favor. Given that political environment right now going forward, there is a huge cost issue. There are budgets, fiscal problems everywhere. They have to horse straight to get policies through. So you just don't know how the policy is gonna work out. I think the regulatory risk here will keep it in mm. the dollar in the short term. But it is one where if the right things happen, it could have a huge run. So I'll wait for that to happen and then chase it. Looks pretty illiquid. It is, it is. I mean, this had a huge run. Small cap guys loved it. Yeah. as with a lot of stocks that have happened and then it comes off hard, right? right? So okay. you've, you've come back. Um, I'm not jumping in right now, but it is one that I keep my eye on. Okay. Howard? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty small company. Uh, yeah. You know, it's only made f just over $4 million in profit um, for a whole year, uh, which, by the way, is nicely up on the previous year. So it's heading in the right direction. So the numbers overall look quite good. It's got reasonably good return on equity that passes our filters. Its debt levels are low, its earnings are growing, but it's a pretty small company. And as Nathan points out, we don't really know what governments and regulators are going to do with energy pretty much anywhere in the world. Yep. So that means when you're buying into it, you can never say, can I be confident that earnings per share will be materially high in five years time? And if you can't say you're confident that earnings per share are going to be materially high in five years' time, it certainly wouldn't meet the definition we use for a wealth winner. Right. So looking at its numbers, if I didn't know what the company did uh, and had no information on that, I'd say, geez, pretty impressive for a small company. Um, it's worth looking at further. Yep. But then the moment I look at it further and I see what sector it's in and all the changes that there could happen that I have no way of guessing which way they'll be, over the next few years, then it gets in the too hard basket. Yeah. Um, you know, you want to, you, you want to feel confident you can't. Uh, it's a classic case that I think you remind us all the time, you have 20 stocks in your portfolio. Absolutely. Why go for something that's a bit overcomplicated when there could be an opportunity elsewhere a lot simpler? Absolutely. As Warren Buffett says, you should really have three baskets. A small yes basket, a large no basket, and an even bigger too hard basket. <laughs> I like it. All right. Um, Mark wants a view, uh, Howard, on fluids, the uh, the wastewater and um, water retreatment uh, business um, with operations in over, over 70 countries. Yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure whether I'd use the term business company. 
right. uh, is probably more accurate because again, this is one of these companies that doesn't make a profit. Huge company, yeah. lots of countries that it's in. What it does sounds wonderfully good for the world, yeah. but it doesn't seem to be able to make any money. I mean, it's been running at a loss now ever since it's listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. So on that basis, uh, and you know, there were 1.4 million shares uh, when it listed. They're now 625 million shares. So uh, could you be confident that you're going to make profits in this company? Could you be confident that those profits are going to grow year by year? The answer to both of those is definitely no. So from a team invest perspective, we'd look at this and we'd say, gosh, sounds interesting what they do here, but no, not the kind of thing we'd ever want to invest in. But, but Nathan, a lot of investors would go, gee, the theme's terrific. Oh. You know, cleaning up uh, water, uh, developing countries, uh, looking at uh, polluted water and cleaning it up. That sounds like an endless business with huge potential. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, look, I've, I've heard this story so many times. It, if, if it, like, I, look, I'm a sucker for blue sky. You know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love the high risk, long term blue sky, but I'm also a data guy. And this has been a blue sky, high risk play for so long that the market's got, just got bored with it. Um, it hasn't done anything for like six, seven years. And it's gone into countries where they have yeah. real issues and it should be doing better. Mm. And it hasn't. Um, and it, one day it will, it may, and there's a lot of people that are going to pay money to keep this afloat to do that, but it hasn't. And so this, you know, experience of losing money in things like biotechs for decades tells you, you want to be the one there when that execution kicks and the tire hits the road. Yeah. I don't know when that is for this. Um, I've seen so many fund managers take a holding and uh, pump the story and then it kind of falls on itself and it hasn't worked out. So um, it sounds good. It's great. But the thing to remember is we have to pay for this to prove itself and it hasn't yeah. for a long time. Wait for it to actually do that and then it breaks out of its cycle and then you start to see the tire hit the road and jump on it. At the moment, it's just not happened. It hasn't happened and it's just been going sideways. And if you look at the execution, it's, it's on the edges. It really hasn't hit the numbers yet. Yeah. And so I would like for it to work. It's, it's kind of cool. Um, but cool doesn't make you profits in markets. No, so. no, but it makes you think yeah. because it is in so many countries yes. and it's being adopted that customers aren't willing to pay what it takes to make a profit out of it. So maybe that's the part of the, the part of the problem. Um, yeah. If it is, if it's a thematic that you go, damn, it's good. Why isn't it making money? Well, the margins are not there. People yeah. are not willing to pay up. Um, and if they're not willing to pay up, what am I there for? Yeah. And, and that's, that's the question that you, you know, it's like, you know, all the thematics that we all knew that we should make money, like aged care, uh, tourism, uh, 3D printing. Yeah. How many people are, you know, uh, virtual reality, how many people are blown up money? I mean, hell, Meta is losing money so much, it might actually go to Meta worse. <laughs> um, so in theory, you know, the obvious thematics, don't make money. The ones that people go, nah, that's not going to work. That's what makes you money. <laughs> that is what makes you money. Because if you think about it, you see, for us, if you look at the gold thematic, yep. if you look at mining services a year ago, nobody wanted to touch it. Seven grew. 
How many yeah. times have yeah, I've been yeah. telling you that you know the caterpillar and the other assets are going to kick in? It's yeah. taken off. Yeah. And the reality is, the ones that people sit there going, nah, it's not going to work. That's the one that makes money because everyone yeah. knows it, but everyone thinks that it won't work. Yeah. It's and, the one that everyone works doesn't make money. And there's logic behind that because yeah. if it sounds to everybody like it works, it gets lots of competition and low margins. Yeah. If people immediately dismiss it and say that won't work, but there's one company that knows how to make it work, that company does very well because it doesn't land up with a lot of competition. But in the end, if you want to invest in a company like Fluence, you can only do it from a point of view of I'm giving money to charity. I'm helping people in third world countries yes. have cleaner yeah. water. Now, that's noble and that's good, yeah. but don't think of it as an investment. Think of it yeah. as a charitable donation. And uh, via uh, another, another yeah. company who, whose executives get paid for helping other people have cleaner water. Yep, and you get the tax deduction <laughs> from the donation <laughs> to charity. Losses. You don't do it yeah. on losing here. Um, all right, our next stock, uh, Reese wants a view, Howard, on NAB. We did Westpac a bit earlier. Is it any different to Westpac? Um, look, it looks a little bit different in that its return on equity the last few years has been a little bit better than um, Westpac's. But as Nathan pointed out earlier, and I said a different way around, banks are not wealth winners. Yeah. So if you want to invest in banks, you're certainly not investing because they are among the best stocks on the stock market. You're investing because you see them on this high street. Every time you walk around, you see a, one of the banks, you recognize the names, so you feel comfortable and you feel they'll still be there in 10 years time and in 20 years time. But NAB's share price, I think Nathan mentioned it hasn't moved for 20 years. I've only got 10 years worth Na of data. NAB's 20 years, yeah, yeah. same and, price. And it's definitely lower than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. When I first arrived in Australia, I bought some NAB shares. That's over 30 years ago. I think they're not much different today right. in share price to what they were <laughs> then. <laughs> All right, Nathan, oh, look, any difference? You know, Nobody's going to care what I say if you bought it early like uh, Howard because you're, you've got dividends. No, I don't have and, them anymore. And exactly. And they will hold on to it. Uh, but if you're looking at it right now, fresh money putting into banks, you wouldn't. NAB, actually, where it differentiates, it's more business oriented. Mm. But my worry is you walk around Sydney CBD. I don't care which CBD. You walk around, you'll see lots of lease signs, a lot of small yes. businesses shut down. That's not positive. And for me, where we are in the cycle, small business is going to struggle. I don't think that's going to be great for the NAB uh, business side of it. Because um, that is strong in small business. Exactly. Mm. And then everyone else is the same. They've all divested. They've just got mortgage for the yeah. most, right? Yeah. So reality is you're going against the tide. So if you're putting fresh money, better places to go. If you're holding banks for the last 20, 30 years, you're not going to care what I say. No. And you're going to hold it. And I say, well done. Yep. Okay. All right, let's recap the first five stocks and our stock of the day, Baby Bunting, a no from both Howard. Uh, same with Big Tin Can, Westpac, Energy One, Fluence, and also NAB as well. Uh, here on the call, we've been following our own High Conviction Fantasy Fund, which is picked by our investment committee. Uh, the latest episode, the committee meeting live on osbiz.com. So let's check how the portfolio is going. Uh, into December um, and into the new year, Babcorp and Domino's were both removed. Index and Janison Education were added to the portfolio. Elders weighting was increased. Uh, let's see how it's uh, performing. And since the 1st of March last year, it is up almost 11%. So keep sending in your requests here to the call because uh, stocks that get, um, that get a yes from both our panelists um, get 
uh, recommended up to the investment committee for them to have a look at. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Um, let's look at the five stocks we're looking at in this half hour, second half hour of the call. Australian Ethical Investment, Bluebet, Super Retail, Dicker Data and also Helios. Jeremy wants a view, Nathan, on Australian Ethical Investment, as the name implies. It's a basically a listed investment company that invests in ethical stocks. Yeah, look, the, the important thing here is to understand the universe that they work in. Yep. Um, if you looked at pre, um, I guess, pre the bear market cycle, uh, pre the interest rate hike cycle, they, by definition, cannot be in mining. Yep. And by definition, they will naturally gravitate to growth stocks, yep. which is predominantly tech and so forth. Right. And can't be in energy, yeah. can't be in the coal stocks. So pretty much everything they had they have had huge run up pre the interest rate cycle on multiple expansion. Right. So they had the the arc effect. Yep. Every growth fund manager and you can see every fund manager out there who absolutely tanked in 2022 were growth funds. Yep. They just bought growth stocks and they fell over and Australian Ethical Fund they have a particular mandate that locks them into a growth fund. They cannot hold mining, which kind of, and they cannot hold value stocks. So they are completely opposite cycle to what's happened in the last year. Has that changed? No. Right. We are in a growth to value transition. That was started, you know, we, I started telling you the boring stories about bond yields rising and inflation yep. coming in early 2021. The market realized it late 2021 and 2022 has been all execution yep. of that. So I, I think we're still you're saying they're in the wrong sectors at the moment and they are forbidden to change. They're they not, cannot. not like a fund manager yeah. that goes, It's a mandate. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, it's a mandate. It's not that they're choosing not to buy those stocks. They just, just can't. Allowed to. Yeah. They just can't. Yeah. So they're structurally in the wrong cycle and that's why the share price has gone from $14 down to, what, 5 yeah. Um, and so it will struggle in the short term. This is one, you, it's, it's a counter cyclical to the um, interest rate cycle. Minute the interest rates start getting cut, you buy the crap out of this one. Right. <laughs> when interest rates are going up, you get the hell out. Okay. All that right. is, that's basically the trade in this. So right now you're not buying this. Howard? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd agree. And if we look at fund managers in general, they yeah. tend to go up wonderfully when the market is rising. Oh, don't tell, and, don't tell Koshi. <laughs> and, and go down even faster when the market is dropping. Okay. Um, now, if you look at this right, one. Uh, hang on, let me, let me challenge you on that. Sure. Okay, because I'm, I'm doing a story about this from a newsletter. All uh, 2022's superannuation fund performances came out. Um, they were abysmal, mm. most of them, in mm. the, the balance fund and the growth side of things, even though when you counted back in the all accumulation index, we're up near record highs. And I'm thinking, these superannuation fund managers that charge a heap 
in fees, pay themselves an enormous amount of money, many of them don't declare it, um, to their investors. What the hell have they been doing with the average Australian's money but, over 2022? But, but you have to oh, remember... You, you're speaking not, to the choir. Yeah. It's, you know, but you're, I mean, you're, pathetic. You're, they're not, you have to understand the business model. The, if you're a fund manager, you make money on performance fees. Yeah. Right. Your performance fees are based on your aggressive beta play. You are not incentivized to play defense. Because if you play defense, mm-hmm. All you're saying is, oh, if the market goes up, I didn't make as much money, clients are going to be unhappy. Yeah. If you have a punt on the market, and the market goes up and you kill okay. it, you go, I made money. So if it goes and wrong, and you blame the market. And a big bonus. Yeah. So it's, it's a game that's incentivized the fund managers to be aggressive. Risk management, and everyone has a risk management spreadsheet on their performance, uh, on their presentation yeah, yeah. pack. But it doesn't actually protect you because most people have liquidity as a... Uh, Protection, liquidity only happens after it's crashed, so it doesn't matter. Right. So it is one of those ones that the industry in itself doesn't actually incentivize people to protect capital. And people don't want to go to the protect capital mode because everyone don't want to, you know, FOMO, don't want to miss out. And in the end, you're always better educating yourself to do it rather than paying somebody else to do it poorly for you. They haven't even beaten indexes. But they haven't for decades. I mean, they have the odd year that they do. But how I got into starting Team Invest in the first place is I got fed up with the returns I was getting from my fund managers and my super fund. And I said, I've got to be able to do this better myself. I understand a fair bit about business. But they're in a business, if I was in a business, where the government legislated that 10% of every customer's income had to be reinvested in you every year... It would no make, questions asked. It would make you fat and lazy. The moment the government legislates that you should get money, you're not going to be very good at doing it because it's you, you know that you're perfectly okay because more money is going to be coming. So the guys who did pathetic. well over decades were guys linked to the banks. So the fund managers no. that was linked to the banks, all the money comes through. They buy the same stocks they had before. Prices go up. Everyone looks good. Minute they all divested, the free right. lunch was gone. The flow of money okay. then become competitive, it got harder. And if we look at an extra thing with this, it's, it was on a P-E ratio at one stage as high as 166. Wow, that's like it's a now on a, it, It's now <laughs> on a P-E of 49. No fund manager can justify in the long term a P-E ratio of 49 because you just can't grow fast enough, yeah. long enough to so justify the, so that. The logic, so it's still not cheap. And I, I was trying to... So I mean, it's still I, mispriced now. Yeah, yeah, it's still I mean, expensive. I'm not, I'm not defending, but to explain it, what happened was they were betting on the fact that there's a, a demographic change. So the younger people were choosing to yeah. put theirs with, and so they're likely to be longer-lasting clients where the demographic dies off in the other area. So in theory, they were getting that transition into yeah. them, which is fine, and it, logic makes sense. But you know what? We're all greedy, right? Whether you're young or old, you're greedy. Yeah. If you're not getting the returns, you change. Absolutely. If you're a young investor and you go, gee, I love this ethical investing, which is fair enough, but my um, investment has halved in the last year, even you're going to say, so well, we, So we, we run a, a global tech health ETF. It's up over yeah. the last 12 months. Why? Because we can see the risk in the market. We manage the risk because we knew these sectors will underperform. So yeah. we got bare ETFs to protect ourselves. So we're right. up over the year and right. we are outperforming. So, but they can't 
I'm not saying they're bad at it. It's just that they can't. Their mandate right. locks them into so, that position. Be out of it. All right. Uh, Mark wants a view, uh, Howard, on Bluebet, one of the many, uh, which Bluebet I don't think would get into the Australian Ethical Fund uh, <laughs> at all. No, no, no. For gaming. the same reason, would our team invest members look at it? Because we always say that if you invest in something, what you're really saying is I'm comfortable for my money to be used to make more of that. Yep. And if you're not comfortable with more of that, whatever that is, yeah. then you shouldn't invest in it. And um, I don't think any of our members own any stocks connected with betting. I mean, they're perfectly entitled to it. It's their own money. But we never talk about them in team invest meetings. On top of that, it's only been listed for a bit over a year and it's losing yeah. money. So uh, uh, on, on every measure that we would look at to consider a company, uh, it floats. Though. Got up to 282. It was pumped up, and that was about the time of a whole bunch of these yeah. betting organisations were floated with the with the promise that they were going to carve a niche for themselves in the US market, <coughs> which was being deregulated. Yeah, and if you think about what a prospectus is for a float, yeah. it's a marketing document that's been checked by your lawyers to make sure that you're not saying anything you could get into trouble for. But it's mm. a marketing document. That's what it's really written for. It's designed to persuade people to put their money into the business. Yep. So you always need to look at a prospectus with a fair bit of scepticism. And, um, you know, uh, th there are a lot of betting companies now and they mm. certainly advertise plenty on, yep. on, on television. You can't watch any sport without watching lots of betting ads. But is that any reason why they will be good investments? No. Yeah. And if regulators change their minds in a, you know, when the pendulum swings, they get even worse. But this one doesn't pass yep. any of our filters. And Nathan, it's so competitive that most of them lose money because of their marketing spend. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's like, um, it's a completely different <clears throat> logic, but a bit like A2 Milk, yep. it's a marketing company at the end of yep. the day. These yep. are marketing companies. Um, and it is amazing how well, I think the first one was PointsBet, I think from yep. memory, yep. Um, it went berserk and everything else got pushed up with that and you know we're taking over the world stuff i love that kind of sector because it, it runs and everyone gets sucked in you get returns but oh, i'm not saying it's a bad thing because you can make good money yeah you know the great just got to know when to get out that's it when the music <laughs> stops you need to get out yeah. and and the beauty of it is i remember the blue sky investment everyone said at one dollar was a short it went to eleven dollars hmm. i mean we ran it at eight nine dollars our numbers went Okay, we're crazy, but this is extra crazy. We're getting out now. Yeah. And then it went wrong and then it fell apart. And it's like that. You can see there are multiples for everything. There's levels where you can get out, where you think, okay, we've gone crazy now, extra crazy. Let's time to cut our losses. And so that's the kind of play here. They were pricing in too much. And when once the growth value changes, the music stopped. And yep. so you had to get out. Interest rates are like murder, death, kill for these guys. And yep. so that's basically turned out. Look, the best one out of the gambling side of things is an aristocrat. It's the best by a country mile. We were in it. It bounced late last year to about 36, 37. We thought the multiple was high given where the economies are heading. So we got out and it's come back a bit. That's the one I would look at. If the right. market gets beaten up and everything gets thrown out, that is a global, high quality, great business model that's actually transitioning to more of an invest income stream type model. So it is much better quality. That's what I'll be looking at. For, the, for me, the betting things at the moment, it's the fad is over. 
it's going to burn money till it gets itself into some kind of consolidated play and that's going to take time and I'll wait for someone else to pay for that. Okay. All right. Something uh, a bit more traditional. Uh, Howard Sharon wants a view on Super Retail Group, another retailer, auto parts, sporting goods, camping, fishing, boating equipment, put an update out this morning um, with good sales growth. Yeah, uh, and, and and I should say at the beginning I've owned this for, I don't know, more than certainly well over 10 years, it could be as much as 15, but yeah. I've owned it in my portfolio for a very, really long time and in my super fund portfolio as well. It's a really boring business. Now that's a compliment, <laughs> that's not an insult. Um, it isn't a great theme, it doesn't have lots of FOMO chasing it. Um, people don't run around saying, oh wow, look exciting, look at the share price graph. Um, And that's why it's been a terrific wealth winner over the years, because almost every year it's increased its earnings. Uh, It's had a couple of times where they didn't grow all that fast. But historically, the earnings have gone up really nicely. I mean, uh, you know, only looking back 10 years, but I've owned it longer than that. It was earning a bit over 50 cents a share. It's now over $1.30 a share. So hardly surprisingly, the share price has gone up too. It also pays quite nice dividends. Um, It's got low debt. In fact, at the moment, it's uh, got zero debt. It's got cash in hand. Um, Its earnings per share is rising. Its return on equity is in the high teens year after year. And every now and then, we get this wonderful opportunity because the Retail Traders Association or similar, or one of the economists, talks about retail being on the nose, terrible slump, interest rates rising, nobody's going to have any money, so retail is toast and the share price comes tumbling down to where it's on a PE of less than 10. Right. And that's the time that you add to your super retail. Because when we had, I was about to, to say to you when the charts came up just a little earlier, it's almost at a five-year high mm. um, at the moment. So you're saying, great company, now's not the time to buy it, but it will invariably come down as those charts are, are showing. Look, in... Yeah, well, look at some of the eight dollars in the in the last year it's got down to absolutely, and you get those opportunities with Super Retail Group at least okay. once a year. All right, Nathan. It's a cyclical. <clears throat> I mean, the classic thing about cyclical is they will come down. It, they, yep. You know, the cycles are there. Um, I think in retail is really tough. Uh, with my view on the consumer side of things, I think it gets tough this year, and consumers will roll over, and that'll hit all the consumer stocks. But this is a high quality player. Remember the time when they bought Rebel and everyone thought this was yep. going to be a complete flop? They turned it around, they executed, management's gone. So like, like Howard, you're saying if, there are if some, retail falls over, yeah. this is on your list. The, some of the ones are Premier, Super Retail, Shaver Shop. These, right. these are high, okay. high quality players that are made the transition into online and they yep. will hold it together. Everyone knows JB Hi-Fi and Harvey Norman, but outside that, these are the guys you buy, and the reason when Howard said below 10, long-term multiple cyclical low is around 8 to 9 PE. Right. So when the multiple for these stocks are 8 to 9 on forward multiples, that means the market is pricing okay. a recession. That's when you a- buy. And there's an extra thing to think about. Retail's very fragmented. There are thousands of them. So when retail is doing poorly, the bottom 20% go broke. And that means the ones that survive pick up all that market share. So every time, you know, I lived in South Africa, we had three-year economic cycles for a long period of time. Every time there was 
a cycle down, in other words, a recession, which we had about every three years, a whole bunch of businesses in every sector went broke. All the ones that didn't go broke picked up market share and did wonderfully well thereafter. So the ideal world from an investor point of view to live in, not necessarily from a society's point of view, but from an investor's point of view to live in, is one with short economic cycles and to be invested in fragmented industries. Because if you're in the best companies in a fragmented industry, you make lots of money. Okay. All right. So super retail, good company, not at these levels, would need to get down to about $8 for you. Well, a P of 10, so probably doesn't need to get down to $8 anymore because they've just announced more uh, earnings, but probably needs to get down to probably a little under 10. Right. Okay. All right. Um, now, you talked about uh, boring, Howard, before. <laughs> Dicker Data, Jim wants a view on this. Um, they distribute a whole bunch of, of tech hardware, Cisco, Dell, Hewlett Packard, uh, basically don't own anything themselves. They're a distributor of computer hardware and software and related products. Boring, but always seem to deliver. Yeah, and in fact, I should disclose that uh, one of the companies in our group is a competitor of theirs. Right. A fair bit smaller than Dicadata, but in the exact same industry. They're quite big. I mean, they do about 160 million in sales a year, but that's nowhere near what uh, Dicadata does. And it's a very, very boring business, but it's got high return on equity, very high. I mean, Dicadata's return on equity is about 40% per annum. Wow. It's got earnings per share that are growing at about 20% per annum, and even if you're conservative and say sales per share growing at 17, so maybe the 20s a little inflated because of COVID having better margins. Um, got a little bit more debt than we like, so currently Dicadata doesn't pass our filters, but um, what a great, boring business yep. in every other respect. Um, and uh, they've only issued a few extra shares over the 10 years, uh, so the only other thing you then want to look at is what's its PE? Now, PE, not all that high at 24 for a business that's growing that fast, but it has come down to about 20 in the last year, and it's been lower than that in previous years. So great business, and probably the time to buy it is next time the media is filled with lots of stories about how the economy is about to tank and we're about to yep. have a recession, and we have four or five bad days in a row okay. in the stock market. So wait for the pullback. Yeah, but great business. Nathan? Yeah, look, it's it's a really well-run business. Um, it's Fat founder led. Yeah, I think their main shareholder was 30% or something, 30, yeah. 35%. Yeah. Um, look, it's, it's a great business. Um, I think the tech pullback, it's played into that. You can see we saw it through our semiconductor sales, which is going to hit everyone in the tech yep. space. It's kind of a leading indicator, and that's played out. Um, the trick here would be um, it's illiquid. It's not as liquid as um, other tech uh, bigger players. So that kind of works against it. Um, but for retail, that's actually a good thing. Um, I think the numbers here are okay. Um, but the only problem is it benefited. Don't look at the share price in the last couple of years, the peak, because that's stimulus driven, interest rate driven. So when you adjust yep. for that, you're mm-hmm. probably okay priced here. Um, I don't think this is a surprise stock. Everyone knows it's good. It pays mm. a, a, mm. a really good, good yield. Yep. So it's, it's a tech stock that pays dividends. You go, what? Um, yeah, so it actually is pretty good. So I suspect it'll hold up better. 
Um, if you're holding it, it's a hold. It's a yeah. solid hold for me. Um, I think you'll probably get it cheaper later this year. And it's one, it's, yeah, it's not exciting, but it's solid. Okay. All right. And our final stock, Lizzie, wants a view, Nathan, on Helios, Australia's second largest pathology provider, third largest diagnostic imaging provider. Yeah, the whole diagnostic imaging sector was hot as anything. Mm. And then it just flamed out. Yeah. Uh, everything's gone off the boil. Um, I look, you know, IDX, um, Capital Health, all of them have come off. Um, I think Telix is their better performer, and, and that's probably an earlier story, so there's a few things. Um, here, Helix is, I think it's it's okay. I mean, I kind of, we've kind of played the healthcare through Sonic and Ansel and CSL. Yep. Now, Ansel is probably doing a better recovery story. Um, where Sonic is probably more comparable. I think Sonic is much more diversified and it's got a few more free kicks out of it. So I prefer Sonic over Helios. But look, the thing that Helios has got is it's right now in the healthcare sector, same thing with Ramsey, there's a M&A play that's going to be going yep. through, that's going to keep them in play. Um, so I want to see the ones that actually have structural growth play in it. I think Sonic and Ansel have that. Um, especially where, where the manufacturing cycle is. I think Ansel has that kicker that could come through. So I prefer Ansel or Sonic over Helios, but look, it's defensive and it should okay. be what it does. So hold if you're in it. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm not all that enthused because there's been so many management changes. New CEO, the heads of each of their divisions have left or about to leave. Um, how do you really make an assessment of a business's future when businesses are run by management and all the management is currently changing, yep. all the top management. So this is definitely in the too hard basket. Right. You really want to know that this management has proven itself um, before you would look at it. Um, and its metrics in general aren't quite as good as IDX, so in integral diagnostics, but the, the biggest reason is the fact that all the changes in management uh, right means okay. you can't really predict. Okay, so wait for that to settle down. Absolutely. All right, let's uh, recap the final five stocks on the call today. Australian ethical investments are no from both Nathan and Howard. It's just the wrong time for a, a portfolio management group like this. Uh, Blue better no. Uh, super retail, terrific stock. One of the best of the retail stocks. Valuation too high. Both Howard and um, um, Nathan expect it to, if it gets down to around nine dollars, uh, which it regularly does, uh, a P of about ten. That's all when retail f um, will roll over this year with fears of recession, as Nathan was saying. Put that on your uh, on your list of retailers, blue chip retailers to watch. Dicker Data, uh, a hold from Nathan. Um, good company in um, Howard's point of view. Wait for, again, a pullback there in the price. Uh, Helios, a hold from Nathan, prefers Sonic and Ansel in that sector, and a no from Howard. Howard Coleman from Team Invest, great to have you in the studio. Good to be here for uh, the first time. And great to have you here yes. on a Monday as usual. Um, that's all we have time for today. Don't forget, if you want any of your stocks, for me to put them to our expert panel. Put them in an email, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the Osbiz TV handle. Um, today on Small Caps, Claude Walker joins us with some buys, plus Chris Hulls will walk us through Life360's path to profitability. All that coming up and a whole lot more on Osbiz. Stick around.
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.